Hello everyone, it's Beck here. Welcome back to ACNA Open Mic. On today's episode, you will meet Ro, our clinical director. And Ro shares a whole lot of stories with us and again opens up that through the power of conversation, amazing impact happens. I say I loved this episode. I love every episode, but this one was a corker, particularly around the sailing, the hiding under the duvet, the incredible career Rose had, and also how she made me change my first bite question to about a first horse. Enjoy. Are you ready? Yes, <laughs> podcast is ready for you. Welcome, Ro Hogan, to Acne's podcast. Thank you, Beck. It <laughs> is a little daunting, but I'm here. Ro Hogan, you have been with us for a year now, haven't you? Yes, I started at the end of January in 2021. Oh, tell us, for the people that don't know, I'm quite sure everyone does know your role in ACNA, but tell us a bit more about your role and what you do and maybe how you came to be with us. Right. Well, I have the very grand title of being clinical director, which is kind of nice for a registered nurse. And I came to ACNA in a sort of a slightly convoluted way. So I had worked with ACNA as a consultant for a short period of time when we were start setting up the ANAC program. Oh, yeah. And it was my introduction to ACNA and I can honestly say I had an absolute ball. So when I finished doing the consulting work that I'd been doing, I was in here chatting to Ricky one day and said, look, I'm here happy to come on board and do more work with you if you need it. Well, that just set a ball rolling down the hill <laughs> <laughs> and here I am, clinical director, and uh, loving it. So it's now been 12 months and the job has entailed all sorts of things. So it certainly involved assisting with the ANAC program, which for anybody that doesn't know it is going into age residential care and doing really good assessments on people that are for the purposes of funding. So, and that's been a real joy to work with the ANAC team, but it's also been, I've been involved in supporting the organisation with, as we duck, weave, pivot, any other piece of <laughs> jargon you want um, for uh, COVID-19 and trying to pick a way, help pick a way through that is measured and sensible. Yeah, some days I feel like we get there and other days you just think, oh dear, why did I get from out from under the duvet? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and uh, what else have I do? And I also support um, various other parts of the organisation because not only am I a registered nurse, but I've done lots of other things as well, which has been kind of handy in this setting. Iro, it wouldn't be right at this time to not give you a chance to plug ISO 9000 certification as part of your job. I need to give you some air time for that. Fair enough. Um, so I I can imagine there'll be one or two listeners out there or maybe the cat <laughs> who's listening going, what on earth is ISO 9000? And so ISO 9001 is the is a type of certification and it's really response to that issue around it's no good us saying how good we are. We really need to have somebody who's independent of us prove it as well. 
And that's really what ISO 9000 is about. It's about somebody coming in who's independent, looking at the systems and processes we've got and determining whether when we've or identifying when we follow them, that we actually do produce really, really great outcomes for our clients. And that's ISO 9000. It's just about all of us doing our job well and properly so that there's a predictable, great experience for a client. Oh my gosh, you've gotten really good at your summaries, my friend. (laughs) That is awesome. Uh, what have I done? Well, look, I've had a 40-year nursing career, so that's been a great career for me. I really enjoyed it, or is it a great career for me? I started in regional Victoria and did my general nursing training in the olden days when we all lived in and did an apprenticeship-type nursing training model. I absolutely loved it and had some great experiences. And in fact, the I was 21 when I was appointed for a six-month period for being in charge of a medical ward. Oh, and yeah. man, do you learn a lot through <laughs> that experience. Yeah. So that was really interesting. I went on and did my midwifery and that was my first half of my career. And I ended up in the role or in a role at the Royal Women's in Melbourne where we were doing about 7,000 deliveries as the having overall responsibility for the maternity services at the Royal Women's. And I did that for a number of years. Along the way, I did a bit of extra study and completed an MBA. And it was really when I was doing my MBA, we were posed the question, where did you see yourselves in five years' time? And at that stage, I I just couldn't see myself doing midwifery. And mm. I had I'd really run out of steam. And so I then popped my head up over the parapet and went, well, what else is there? And decided I wanted to get into, move across into community care for older people that I just looked at it and thought this would be a really interesting journey, particularly wow. 20 years ago when uh, there were lots of opportunities for change. Yeah. So it took a little bit of explaining to prospective or to organisations when I rocked up on their doorstep <laughs> that I wanted to go from being the divisional director of the maternity services at the Royal Women's to doing something else. So it took a couple of sideways steps, but I eventually got there and ended up as executive director of RDNS, which is a similar organisation to Silver Chain and had a fantastic time there. Wow. When I finished up there, I went and worked as an advisor for the Minister for Health in Victoria for a while and then uh, went and worked for the Jewish community and then I came over here and started working in Western Australia, and that was eight years ago. So only eight years in WA? Mm. Yes, I'm a relative newbie and uh, have loved it. I used to drive or come over here. I said driver. I haven't driven over here once, but I used to come over here uh, quite regularly for some of the jobs that I had. So it was a very – it was – vaguely familiar to me and I'd always said that if I didn't live in Victoria I'd love to live in Western Australia so when I had the opportunity to I jumped at it and have loved it ever since but I do go back to Victoria regularly COVID-19 permitting and I also have family in 
Brisbane and New South Wales. So, And we love that because then we can see you over in all those locations. All the teams love seeing you, Ro. The WA thing, now there is a particular sport you are quite interested in in WA and WA it sort of serves that need for you very, very well. Yeah. Would you like to tell us what that sport is, Ro Hogan? Beck is getting me to talk about my sailing ambitions. So I have never been a sailor up until the last five years and since then have, uh, with my partner, uh, taken up sailing. He is a sailor having sailed for 45 years and me, I'm just a relative newbie. So it's been a very steep uh, learning curve, in fact, almost perpendicular really <laughs> and and not content with putting me into oh, I don't know putting my L plates on and putting me into a nice Hyundai i30 and letting me <laughs> just trundle down the street I've been thrust into the racing world in what would be the boat equivalent of a Bathurst Formula V8 car so it has been a very challenging experience, but I'm loving it. Is there a story about a client that you'd like to share that just is so impactful that it comes to the top of mind when you think through your career and clients that you've worked with? Look, I've probably had lots of stories or uh, interactions with people that have made me think again about the direction I was taking, but I think the one person that I have encountered with that makes that keeps me in the job or uh, makes me keen to continue is actually my father. So for those people that don't know, both my parents ended up living with dementia. My mother had a was diagnosed first and my father just provided the most extraordinary support mm-hmm. to his wife and uh, while she was living with it. And eventually she went into an aged residential care facility, which I might add was actually the best place for her because it looked like a hospital and she was an old nurse. So Aww. she found it really comforting to be in a facility that reminded her of a, oh, a hospital wow. that she worked in, which was really interesting for me and so I you know it made me rethink about what brings comfort to people yeah and then my father was diagnosed a time a bit later with uh, Alzheimer's disease and he, he also was living with living with dementia but the way he tackled it was quite different to my mother and his fierce independence and his ability to try everything to uh, mitigate the impact of it really made me and the dignity which he did it with really made me realize that you can do so much more in if you are able to live in the right environment for you and it reinforced for me the importance of seeing the things people can do and that was one of the things he found so frustrating he got really sick of being told what he couldn't do he already knew what he couldn't do but what he wanted to know was what he could do and how he could keep doing it and seeing that in action was really a great experience. You know, he an inspirational experience is perhaps a better word. So anyway, it really interesting and quite inspiring experience. So, you know, his Alzheimer's was quite ad- advanced and he and I went over to seas. 
and because he really wanted to see his grandson and he'd always wanted to go to Japan. So off we went and he travelled in business class and had an absolute ball and had the cabin crew running around after him. Meanwhile, I was slumming it in cattle (laughs) class. (laughs) Anyway, and look, just from beginning to end, he had an absolute ball. My mother had died at at this stage and uh, had been dead for some time. And we went to a couple of parties in Japan and he flirted outrageously. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we had a ball. And he got to practice. He went to one of the sushi bars in his local town each Friday with somebody that used to come into the house to provide a bit of support. And they would try out all the different dishes so that he knew which ones he could order confidently in Japan. because they'd look a bit familiar and he could point to them knowing that he would do it. So there was an eight-week eating Japanese sushi training program and they took him walking and uh, so that he was nice and fit and and so on. It was just hysterical. That (laughs) That trip to Japan, it only went for 10 days in actual time away. But in terms of preparation and post-morteming it lasted for about <laughs> three months <laughs> oh I love it was it your dad that bought you your first bike row yes because we actually had a sports store at that stage <gasps> so what? I yes my father was a very keen sportsman and had set up a his own sports store so there was plenty of toys and equipment and sporting equipment so yes I had a bike and uh, that was my um, get to school and get to the horse mode of transport. Well, I think we need to change the first bike question to get to the horse question. <laughs> Do tell. My parents made the mistake of taking me to the North Bendigo Kindergarten Fair where I was popped on top of a very a little Shetland pony. Shetland pony. <laughs> And met my first true love and nagged incessantly. So I uh, lobbied the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, Father Christmas and all relatives at birthdays for a horse. (laughs) Needless to say, none of them were delivering much. So anyway... (laughs) By the time I was 10, my parents were so heartily sick of it. They enrolled me in riding lessons, which I had for a number of years set up. And But that, at one level, that just intensified the lobbying. And eventually, uh, my parents gave in because they did want a life and <laughs> uh, bought me my first horse which oh. I proceeded to ride and all the rest of it anyway. And then, but of course, rapidly outgrew and then acquired a second one who I rode for many years and really was not until I got too complicated with shift work and nursing and he wasn't the sort of animal that you could leave to his own devices mm. and ride occasionally. So I sold him. 
to a family and uh, he went on to live the most luxurious <laughs> life until he was about 28. So were you in country Victoria then? No, regional Victoria. So I lived in Bendigo and <gasps> it was only about a mile by, by a bike out to the horse. So there you go. I grew up in Woodend, so I was just down the road from you. Oh, there you go. Yep. So I was there until I was in my early 30s and then I started working in Melbourne. Bro, I've ended my questions and had like the most fantastic 20 minutes with you, but this bit's over to you. Is there anything that you would like to share with the podcast audience? What have I learned from being at ACNA? I think it's great to be able to express your personality here and work in a really fun, lively way. But also, we should be really focused on supporting people to be fiercely independent. I like I that. That's it for that one. Yeah, I've got a really strong belief that we should, you know, people might make really good decisions or really bad decisions in our view, but they're their decisions and we should support them. Ro Hogan, thank you so much for being on podcast. It has been such a delightful conversation. So much fun. Thanks, Beck. It was um, lovely to be invited on. And I don't think uh, I'm going to move across to podcasting <laughs> as my new career. Oh, I don't know. I might be sending that equipment over to you very shortly. Yeah. You are a lot of fun. Thank you, Ro. Okay. Have a great evening. You too, Beck. Bye. Bye.